Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. When I was a kid, I wanted to go with my dad everywhere he went. I was his shadow. And the reason for that, probably more than anything else, was that there was dogs involved. And I loved dogs from the time I was very little. And my dad was the same way. And he often talked about he and his brothers hunting with the cur dogs back in Tennessee during the Depression before he went away to the army in 1939 of course, so do you, war- ha- you you've got a brother right yeah you have, you've got one brother or how many do you one have? brother randy who's eight did, years younger than me did randy hunt too yeah he did later on uh, <laughs> and i'm sorry did he did you say he's younger than you are he's eight years younger than i okay am. all right yeah there's only two of us no girls yeah. And uh yeah, Rand, but I was the one that was just crazy about dogs. Randy okay. was okay with dogs, you know. He, and he made a good houndsman, but uh it came along later in life after girls and cars and music. <laughs> but sounds like, uh, sounds like one of my brothers. <laughs> I'm the oldest of six. Oh, wow. Yeah. The wise so, one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 The bully. <laughs> right. <laughs> the one they were so glad to see you go off to the Marine Corps or to college or whatever. <laughs> That's right. It's like more food at the table. It, right. was rude, it was rude hog or die around our table. Uh, exactly. Well, you know, that's going to be one of the things that's going to be fun about this is here I am an, an old wing nut. You know, I flew a desk for Uncle Sam for four years in the Air Force. You're a jarhead, man. You're out there going <laughs> through the wall instead of over it or around it, you know? So we had a policy. We always oh, yeah. did. Yeah. The wall was just an obstacle. We could go over it, under it, around it, or through it. But most of the <laughs> right. time, we just tried to go through it first. We never got that part out of the way. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, anyway, this deal with my dad was just something that he and I uh, had that commonality that I wish every boy could have with their with their father, regardless of whether the sport's baseball or golf or fishing or whatever. It's important for dads and sons to spend time together, especially in those young formative years. And for me, that all wrapped around hunting with hounds. Uh, we would go coon hunting on Saturday nights. My dad worked away from home during the week, would be home on the weekends. And after the garden chores were done, we'd go coon hunting. Anyway, on this one occasion, of course, my dad was bitten by the bear hunting bug in the 50s and got into plot hounds and met some local hunters. And uh, so they decided, uh, he and a friend named Ernie Gray, decided that they were going to go up to Brandywine, West Virginia, which is up in in uh, ha- uh, uh, Hampshire County, Pendleton, excuse me, Pendleton County in the eastern part of the state. And it's probably about a five-hour drive from our home. And they left in the evening, and the idea was to get up there in time to go bear hunting the next morning. And there was a family named Radford that had a hunting camp up there. And the Radfords 
there was uh, Matt, the older, uh, the father of the group, and there were three sons, Keith, Stephen, and Richard. And these were all very tall guys, real yeah. long, lanky guys, and they were all brick masons. And so they had if, big, powerful hands too. Yeah, yeah. and any and, and they were characters. I mean, always joking, always laughing. Everything was funny. Uh, but we would go hunting, uh, and in those days, we led the dogs, double coupled. Sometimes you had two dogs, sometimes you had four dogs, but they uh -huh. were coupled two together, and we would walk up one ridge and down the other and up another, and you know, and that's the way we we would bear hunt with a strike dog loose to find find a cold track or a or a hot one, hopefully. Right. And then we'd feed the others in. Well, these guys took those long steps, about three to my one. <laughs> and when they'd t stop at the top of a ridge to take a break, I, you know, I'd be struggling to keep up. And by the time I caught right. up, they were rested up and were yeah. gone again. <laughs> so anyway, we were going to go up. They, My dad had told me that he and Ernie were going to go up to the Radford camp and go bear hunting on Saturday. I wanted to go, of course. And dad says, well, someone else, and I don't remember who, is going along too. There's no room for you in the truck. We didn't have super cabs or extended cabs right. back then. So I said, I can ride in the back with the dogs. Five hours. Well, yeah. So what they did in those days is they just took a pickup bed and filled it full of straw. And right. they put eye bolts around the inner rail of that bed and, and snapped a about a foot of chain with a snap on it and the dogs had room enough to lie down you know in the straw and of course this thing had a cap over it okay. but there was no door in the back it was just you know <clears throat> so three dog night got its name from apparently the severity of the of the cold night depended on how many dogs you had to bring in to sleep with you and that's how the name Three Dog Night came with that band. I think right. it was an old Alaskan thing. Well, this was about a eight dog night. Um, <laughs> it was cold. It was either late November, early December. But I can remember riding in the back of that truck, dust swirling, blowing that straw around, wheezing, coughing. But I was going bear hunting, and that was all right. that mattered. Well, when we got up there, it was in the pre-dawn and someone had built a fire and guys were all standing around, milling around the way hunters would do, discussing the coming hunt, who was going to be on a stand, who was going to be taking the dogs, where we were going to go. And someone looked over toward me from that group and said in kind of a loud voice, why's Fielder got that kid up here? Yeah. So my dad, he's like five, seven on his tiptoes, you mm -hmm. know, combat vet, World War II, fought the Germans in Iceland and the Japanese in the South Pacific, a pipe fitter by trade, walked the high steel, absolutely not afraid of anything or anybody, yeah. a real peaceable man, quiet man, but you know, no nonsense guy. He steps up into the middle of that fire circle, and he said, that's my son, and pointed to me. And he says, where I go, he goes. Yeah, that's great. And he just backed up into the crowd. Nobody said anything. Conversation started again. I never forgot that. 
And that was pretty much the, the way my life went as a kid coming up. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast. This is your host, Chris Powell. And today we have with us Steve, who is at his brother Randy's house in Virginia. Uh, we're going to take the opportunity to sit down with Steve and continue our conversation. Uh, you formerly heard Steve tell a story about the Eight Dog Night. Well, these two brothers have a whole volume of stories for us, and we're going to try to capture a few of those today. So, uh, Randy, uh, you can say hello to everybody, and Steve, you say hello too, just to make uh, make sure everybody knows I'm not lying to them. <laughs> Coming to you alive <laughs> from the beautiful mountains of Virginia, home of my younger sibling, <laughs> Randy. Say hello, Randy. Uh, hello. Thank you. Uh, honored to be a part of this, and I might mention the more handsome of the two brothers. I've seen pictures and I can verify that. So Steve, <laughs> Steve, Steve definitely has a face for radio. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> so absolutely. And, and you know, the problem is I have more of that face to wash every morning I get up, you know, <laughs> it, it's, uh, if I do a comb over, it would have to, I'd have to grow out the back hairs that I have, you know, oh, I hear you. I hear you. I don't know what it is about. Maybe it's the 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 thread of the common thread of being a houndsman that makes your hair fall out. I'm not sure, or maybe Pull it's it out. Training pups. Yeah, <laughs> you got that right. So, Randy, uh, just to get a few things under our belt here and get to know you a little bit, um, I'm just, I'd just like to introduce you, and and uh, you're going to introduce yourself actually. But uh, how old are you now, Randy? Uh, gee, I'm 64 now. If you're a woman, I wouldn't ask you that question. And Steve told me to ask you because he likes to talk about how much younger you are. He won't be he won't be singing that tune much longer, though. I don't think he'll be jealous. Okay. <laughs> um, and where whereabouts do you live now, Randy? I live in Southwest Virginia. The county is Tazewell, um, in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, in between cities of Bluefield and Bristol. Would that be considered the Blue Ridge Range, or uh, I'm not real familiar. I'm familiar with Tazewell County, but I don't know a whole lot about the local nomenclature for where you're living. Yeah, There are those that would argue this point, but the Appalachian Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains kind of, you know, they butt together at certain points but we just call this the Appalachian Mountain Range yeah a lot of rich history in that that country for sure oh yeah so uh, Randy what uh, we've talked about this but and 
it seems like we've always got to qualify everybody with their occupations. While Steve was uh, out saving the dog world, you were out saving souls, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm a minister. Yeah. I'm a preacher. Yeah. How long, how long have you been doing that? Oh, near 30 years. I also drive a public school bus. Oh, no kidding. I bet that tests no your, I bet that tests your faith. Driving a public school bus these days. I won't tell you what he calls them after he comes home. You know. <laughs> Be nice. Have you Hey, I want to interject a little bit yeah, of go ahead. history here. Just a little capsule. Those of you you that have read uh Dale Lee's books or any history of the Lee brothers, you remember the time that they came out to Virginia to catch a varmint that nobody knew what it was. Right. It was killing sheep mm-hmm. and all. Well, that was in Burke's Garden, which is just right here. You can sit on Randy's deck and look over to the, uh, what do you call that mountain right there, Randy? That part would be Rich Mountain that you can see from my deck. Yeah, Rich Mountain. So if you just go over that, Burke's Garden's like a big bowl. What is it, 10 miles across, something like that? I, you know, I... I really don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah, well, but I, anyway, you it, it, it turned out that it was a coyote. Right. And that coyote yeah. stuffed in a museum right down the road here on Highway 460 going toward Lebanon, Virginia. And uh, so that that's just a point of reference for where we are. That's funny you would mention that. I just reread that account the other day. It was actually captured. I think it was in the... Uh, Blue Tick Breeders and Coon Hunters Association Blue Book. I'd I'd read it previously in some other publication, but then they they brought that back up and and printed that in the Blue Book. So, yeah, that's an interesting point that you bring that up, and interesting to know that it happened right there. You can probably see where that happened, Randy. Oh yes, yes I can. Yeah. So, I guess I guess uh, what we would like to do here is is our our whole theme for Houndsman XP is, you know, extreme extreme performance and bringing the uh, most extreme houndsmen to the public and sharing their stories with our listeners. So uh, you've got a rich history there. I know a lot of us know what Steve's story is with with hounds and and him making a career with the registries for for thirty three years and and continuing with his riding and but. Tell us what your involvement has been with bear pen plots and 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 uh, being a houndsman there in Virginia, Randy. Just uh, give us a, an overview. Well, being the younger brother, I, I think the uh, hunting uh, tradition had already been established with my dad and with Steve. And most of the time, I think I was just in the way. <laughs> but, uh, Steve you know, does, Steve I, doesn't say that. He he talks about you being being a, a good houndsman and and uh, he gives you a lot of credit when you're not around. Well, that's very kind of him. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Uh, I you know I I can. These are the memories that I have of like starting. We we had an area there near home growing up uh, that we coon hunted, and um, we coon hunted out of a, a Ford station wagon. And I learned to drive in that. And when we would leave the paved road or the hard top, as you say, and head into the woods, then I would get to drive this three-speed on the column um, Ford station wagon. And, of course, I never got out of first gear, but I learned the clutch and the 
gas and the brake thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, early on, the uh, hunting for me was, hey, I get to drive. And how old were you? How old <laughs> so, were you when that happened? I was probably fourteen or fifteen because you get you you could get your license at sixteen. Right. So it may have been earlier than that. I, I really don't remember, Chris. But uh, you know, it was a little different when I came along because uh, dad started working out of town and Steve's probably already mentioned this, but he, he was a pipe fitter and he spent a lot of time mm-hmm. working up and down the Ohio river and was gone during the week and home on the weekends. And that's when the hunting took place. Well, about the time that, uh, you know, I started driving and made my license and I, I had another interest in my life, which was music. So there were times when I got sidetracked getting an opportunity to play music that Steve and dad were going hunting. So there were a lot of years um, that really I got away from it. I mean, I can remember bear hunting trips up on Cold Knob in in West Virginia and a few other places, and that was always exciting. But I kind of got away from it for years, and it really wasn't until I, I had gotten married, started a family of my own, had my own place, that I decided, you know, I wanted to get some hounds. And I would always keep one or two hounds, a couple of, uh, you know, rabbit beagles, a bird dog. And I was generally feeding four or five dogs all the time. Mm-hmm. But the dogs that I would get, Chris, would be uh, uh, most generally dogs that were not world beaters. <laughs> That's how <laughs> I got them. Uh, I, I've there's never been more of those in my them. life than there's been more of those in my life than good ones. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I've never purchased a, a, a hound. You know, I, I had a good supply coming to me, uh, and it and it was probably I would get a dog when Steve uh, just didn't have a place to keep any more than he was keeping, mm-hmm. uh, or it didn't suit him just fine, or 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 Dad maybe had gotten in a position where a dog uh, really wasn't doing what he wanted it to do on bear anymore. And so, you know, I I, I got hounds more as an adult than I did as a young person and oh. really enjoyed, uh, I've never been a competition hunter. Right. Um, uh, I, I was just always a pleasure hunter. And, and if I may insert this right here, sure. I I've had a lot of fun hunting with my dad, with my brother, very few other people. Uh, I, I won't mention their names to protect the guilty, but, uh, <laughs> I I just want to insert this for what this is worth. Some of my most fun times hunting have been with just me and my dog. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the golfer, you know, you never go play golf by yourself because if you hit a hole in one, you can't tell anybody, they don't believe you. But to me, it never was about that. It was, it was therapeutic. It was me in the mountains with nothing else, but my dog, uh, very rarely ever a gun, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just good for me to get out and hear my hound, uh, you know, find that track, cold trail, you know, get it going, get it moving, make something out of it, locate, sit down and tree a coon. And, and that, that was fun for me. If I could do that once a night, Hey, it was time to go back to the house. I, I was satisfied. So it's always been about pleasure for me, Chris. Well, that's what it should be for all of us. I, you know, I don't think we should be argue, or, you know, debating that point at all. Uh, Randy, when you, when you were, uh, when your dad was still alive, home and fielder, did he come over and bear hunt with you in that country as well? 
Yes, he did. But at the time that he would, did that, he was really at the end of his walking through the mountains leading a dog or following a pack of dogs. He would stay in the truck and man the radio and walk into the tree. Okay. And um... we're talking about a man that would still climb any mountain that you wanted to climb. Uh, in his mid and late seventies, <laughs> that, that Steve yeah. shared a story with me the other day about about your dad taking the, uh, some hounds out by himself and then walking all day to get out. And how old did you say he was at the time, Steve? I think he was in the mid eighties when he was the, mm-hmm. down there on uh, on went to Cape Ford Mountain that day and just yeah, went to, by himself yeah he yeah. went by himself he promised mom that he wasn't going to turn the dog loose he was just going to take the dogs and <laughs> ride through the mountains and see if he could uh <laughs> i just oh that brings back some some other stories that we won't go into but it's uh you know he he said that he uh was just going to drive around and see if he look for bear tracks maybe rig a bear but he wouldn't turn loose on it it's kind of like bill clinton you know he didn't inhale right. uh, dad wasn't going to turn the dogs loose but i was thinking of that same he, story <laughs> yeah but he as it turns out and randy may remember this story better than i but you know he ended up getting the truck stuck way back in an, on one of those gas well roads or something and and had no means of communication at that time no cell phone, ended up uh, walking out, which took about all day. And that entailed coming off a mountain, wading a a swift stream, getting up on the other side and just walking in the direction of a little community that was miles away. And thankfully, uh, someone came along and picked him up and took him to a payphone that he was able to call mother and she was frantic and called um, John Harris, who was my dad's um, latter years, his hunting companion, you know, but that was the kind of guy home and fielder was, you know, he was, he was absolutely uh, a woodsman and uh, it would have been a task that most people 65 years old wouldn't have wanted to tack, tackle, but uh, <laughs> he was tough for sure. Well, Randy, when you hunted with him uh, on bear there in, in the mountains, it always amazes me. I, I hear stories of, of uh, you know, you take Ben Lilly, for instance. He didn't move west until he was 50 years old and uh, made his last ha- hound hunts or last hunts with hounds in his mid-70s. And uh, there's got to be something inside of a person that keeps them motivated to hunt that far in, into their, their life. And what was it about your dad that, that brought that out? in your opinion? He, he was just the most passionate hunter I ever went into the woods with. He uh, was very focused, very driven. Uh, it, it was just, um, you know, he didn't play golf. Uh, he didn't fish that much. Um, he, he didn't play cards or go to bingo. Or He went to church and he hunted <laughs> and he worked hard. And hunting for him was just, uh, you know, he grew up in middle Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And there were no mountains there and not really a lot of game. And he told me that when he moved to West Virginia, he absolutely fell in love with the mountains and he never wanted to leave them. And he never did. And he never did. 
You know, Chris, uh, to to illustrate his toughness, uh, you know, he mowed his lawn the week that he went in the hospital for a hip replacement at age 87. Mm-hmm. And the one driving uh, uh, force. force in front, thank you, Randy, <laughs> behind that was he wanted to get that hip replaced so he could get out back in the mountains That's right. and follow the hounds. I remember, and we tried I remember to, when you talked yeah. about that. Yeah, and we tried to discourage him, you know, because of his age. And he wouldn't have it. He he was convinced that he would get that replacement and he could he could go on. Well, as it turned out, the the surgery was successful, but Dad never did really walk again because he he had a heart attack after, at about three days in into his recovery period mm-hmm. that slowed him down, uh, and um, you know and, and those sort of things, but. His mind stayed pretty good right up to the end. He he died in October um, 25th of 2008. Uh, As we're talking to you here, we're sitting here looking at the the flag uh, that was folded and presented to my mother the day that we laid him to rest in the Veterans Garden at uh, Sunset Memorial Cemetery there in Beckley. But he... uh, you know, he was thinking about hunting right up to the end. The last time I was in Beckley, I stayed at a hotel right across the uh, road from that cemetery, and I actually tried to find your dad's um, gravesite there. And I was trying to get a. It was. It's just so big, and I was. I couldn't figure out how to find that that marker in there. Right. So right. I wanted to get a a picture of me with your 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 dad's. Uh, headstone or marker there but he was a world war ii veteran tough as nails uh, getting a hip replaced at 87 and the only motivation he had to do that was so he could get back in the mountains that's exactly right chris that's an amazing story that is (laughs) that is extreme performance right there uh how many how many years did your dad have plot hounds uh, he he got the first registered dog in 1954, and we told the I've told the story before in my book I think, uh, or maybe in some of the articles. He went coon hunting up into the national forest up on Williams River in Pocahontas or Greenbrier, Pocahontas County, I think. And he went with a fellow named Opal Bennett that owned a pair of plot females, and they were mother and daughter. Daisy and June. I think they were about maybe two years apart in age. And my dad was hunting a gray black and tan dog at that time that came out of Missouri. My dad worked out at the, he, he worked at three different plants where they diffused uranium for the atom bomb after the war. And one of those was in, in the Paducah, Kentucky area. And we lived in Charleston, Missouri for a year. And he got these, a pair of pups from a coon hunter out there and they were mixed up they were hound and had a little bird dog in them well sam was a black and tan and he had white points white in his chest and on his mm-hmm. toes anyway this white this sam dog struck a track on william williams river and i think this was probably in october coon season time maybe november and sam struck this track and he came back to my dad and these two plot females swam Williams River, 
and took this track on and they realized and they could see the bear track in the sand along the creek bank mm -hmm. and they took the bear back on the mountain and a, a snowstorm blew up high winds snow and all and they listened to the dogs and they heard them catch the bear but the wind and the distance and all this uh, uh, prevented them to, from keeping up with the dogs and the dogs were lost and it was presumed that the bear killed them at first but then this June female, the younger one, did come in and was mm -hmm. recovered. Uh, Daisy was never heard of again. Yeah. But that was my dad's. Uh, and then so what did he do? He took a uh, a twenty two rifle automatic that Randy has here right now uh, and traded that to Opal Bennett for that plot female. Mm -hmm. And uh, June. And we hunted her, and he coon hunted her quite a bit. He didn't bear hunt her that I ever remember. Because Dad really wasn't into his bear hunting phase yet. Uh, he was still coon hunting. And uh, there's a lot of stories to be told about old June. But Randy probably, do you remember June at all? I remember her, yeah, but I don't ever remember hunting with her. Yeah. She was a cold-nosed female that was pretty much a track straddler. Dad would talk about, you know, how she didn't pick her head up and run with the cold track the way he wanted them to. But she was largely Isaiah Kidbread and the, the dogs of uh, John Owens in Iowa. And mm -hmm. uh, well, some of the earliest, she had dogs on her pedigree, that, a three-generation pedigree that didn't have registration numbers. Right. So they predated uh, uh, plot registration in 1946. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's when he started with plots. Yeah, and Randy, uh, this is a good segue. Randy, uh, Steve mentioned Isaiah Kidd. Uh, of course, he was from West Virginia, I believe. And um, did you ever go with, with your dad to Isaiah Kidd's place? Many, many times, Chris. That was a highlight uh, for a young boy that really kind of grew up in town, uh, you know, and uh, to get to go to the kid farm at Union Mm -hmm. West Virginia, and uh, you know, Dad would always get frustrated because he'd turn me loose, and uh, <laughs> they'd have to take me down to the creek and wash me off when we went home because I had slid and fallen into so many cow piles. And, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that was a kid's dream right there, you know. Kid yeah, farm. what was your impression of of uh, Mister Kid? Oh, very laid back. I, I can see him with his bibbed overalls on and some type of farm shirt, work shirt, soiled, you know, just kind of uh, a beard, white haired, mm -hmm. uh, laid back, just real, uh, very knowledgeable, though, about hounds and uh, fun to sit and listen to. I would sit at their feet, you mm -hmm. know, and just listen to them talk. Yeah, I remember being eight years older than Randy. <clears throat> going to the kid farm and sitting on the front porch there. And that's probably where Randy's talking about sitting at the feet of my dad and Isaiah. Isaiah always had about a three, four day stubble mm -hmm. of white beard. Mm -hmm. And he always had, you could tell he was level headed because he had tobacco juice running out of both corners of his <laughs> mouth. And beer. And beer, as they'd say. And he, what he would do is take that plug out of his bib of his overalls or the pants he happened to be wearing and cut it up a, a, a piece off with his uh pocket knife mm -hmm. and then and put insert it in his jaw and work it up real good 
and you know, and and <clears throat> spit. And of course, he'd always leave that remnant in the corners of his mouth. I would think and, that sitting on the steps would be a bad place to be sitting if he's <laughs> spitting tobacco juice. That's right. <laughs> and, and and what I remember, the, well, I remember a lot of things about Isaiah because, like, like I said, I was older. But and I'd already been bitten by the desire to to see these plot dogs and be around them. When you would drive across the cattle guard at Isaiah's and head toward the this big two story house uh, with a with a big porch on the front that faced back toward the highway, you would hear the barks, these heavy voices of those plot hounds, and they had big mouths. There weren't any yappers in Isaiah's mm-hmm. kennel. Well, he didn't actually have a kennel. Most people, you know, staked their dogs out to dog houses. Um, and there would be uh, uh, usually a female with a litter of puppies in the, yeah. in the crib, corn crib or, or building there, you remember. Oh, yeah. And you'd look in on those, that litter of Isaiah kid bred plots, and uh, there would be, they look just like striped chipmunks. You know, in, oh, in the that. box. Yeah. yeah. But those are the memories I had. And one other little thing, he would point toward Peter's Mountain in the distance and say, "There's, uh, that's where in that gap you see over there is where Crying Sam and Old Bell and all the, ran that bear for three days, and that was the bear that killed Crying Sam." And those stories just came one right after the other. Well, the bear pen plots, that was, how did that, how did bear pen plots get its name? How did that happen? <laughs> I can't answer that. That Other than to tell you, I, that Steve came up with that. Okay. No, I actually didn't. All right. The, the, it was too, too faceted. And I, I'd like for Randy, and you know, I don't want to take away from Randy's talk, but I can tell you real quickly. In mm-hmm. 1952, when Dad was working in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, he brought home a book by Samuel Honeycutt called 20 Years Hunting Fishing in the Great Smoky Mountains. I have that book. I've read it I don't know how many times. But in that book, it talked about an area in the Smokies, and I've fished in that area. Yeah. Uh, it's called Bear Pen Ridge. Hmm. And I think that's what really planted the idea with my dad. But then he would often say in latter years that turning that pack of dogs loose on a bear was like putting him in a pen. And uh, <laughs> so I think it was a combination of those two things. It's where he got the kennel name Bear Pen. Because the first couple – uh, he used Fielder's June was the first dog mm-hmm. one, and then he t- attached hardwood to the dog. He had Fielder's; it was hardwood Gypsy, and I think maybe it was hardwood Sam. And he later changed it to Bear Pen Sam. But anyway, it yeah. just kind of stuck from there on. Well, the reason I I wonder about the Bear Pen dogs is is they were heavily influenced by Isaiah Kid and and your dad was obviously more than just an acquaintance. He was a friend, uh, comfortable enough to take take you and Randy out there to his farm and, and uh, let you roll in cow piles and listen to stories. Um, what kind of impact do you think uh, – the reason I bring this up, and I thought it was really interesting we got on Isaiah Kidd, 
is because he's one of the foundation breeders of the plot breed for for the big game hounds that that people are using. So, uh, what are some of the dogs that that you recall coming out of uh, Isaiah Kidd's stock? I think Randy might be a little too young to remember that, Chris. Okay, I do, I do, and and again, I don't want to. I want to spend as much time with my brother here. I don't get to spend much time with him. Sure. And uh, our mother uh, lives in a retirement home here with about three miles away. And um, most of my trips are up here to see mom, and I always get to spend time with Randy. But just real briefly to answer that question, the June female was heavily Isaiah Kidd bred. And uh, the second time he bred her, he bred to a dog called Kids Rock, mm-hmm. who was Isaiah Kid's stud dog. All yeah. right, and uh, uh, I hunted with Rock several nights. Uh, remembered he, I tell the story in my book about climbing the tree to shake the coon out that Rock and June had treed, mm-hmm. and how I was uh, not really happy about doing that because that coon was big. I wasn't very big, and it was was not at all a pleasant experience for me at that point. But uh, Dad was always encouraging us as boys to to do things and try things and and not be timid about doing things. But anyway, so uh, out of that cross of uh, uh, Rock and June came a female that was called Hardwood Gypsy. And she had a little mate brother that was a buckskin-colored dog. Dad just mm-hmm. simply called him Buck. And he was making a good dog, and he died at a young age. And then Gypsy uh, made a nice dog. She, she was interesting. I'd take her rabbit hunting in the daytime out in the, what we called the gray flats behind the house. And she'd run rabbits in the daytime if you put her on the tra- track. If you jumped a rabbit, put her on it, she'd run that rabbit just like a beagle. But she wasn't interested in going out and jumping one on her own. But anyway, Gypsy then was bred to a dog called Kid's Boss that Isaiah bred. And that produced a a female called uh, Bear Pen Honey. And then Honey was bred, yeah, and and she was bred uh, to other dogs and uh, along the line. And and that, for, for a long time, the Kid dogs were very strong in the bear pen dogs until the early 70s when dad got closely acquainted with Everett Weems, and that's mm-hmm. a whole different story. Right. But, uh, yeah. We need to cover Everett sometime in his story as well. Randy, what are some of the uh, the dogs from your your dad's line that you remember most? Well, I, I remember old Sam who re- referred to him quite a bit. And uh, some of the female dogs. I, I remember June. I remember large litter of puppies she had one time. I think it was sixteen or eighteen puppies one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I would get you know some of the females down through the years. And uh, uh, some of the most interesting dogs that I had. I had Bronco here. Uh, I had Bronco in, his, in yeah. his latter latter days. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a plot female here you now that that's got uh, Bronco in her pedigree. Mm-hmm. Well, good, good for <laughs> yeah. you. That's it. I wonder why she was doing so well to young man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. But uh, you know, Chris, if I can back up just a little bit, 
uh, it kind of liken this bear pen plots to a business, if you will. Like dad started the business. Steve was the elder brother, the number one son. So he had to learn the business inside and out. And all I got to do was enjoy it. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I, as going back on some of those early questions, that's why I stumble on those a little bit. Uh, some of the most fun dogs I had, I had a dog named Jim. And Steve can tell you about the breeding on him. Let me tell you something. When you uh, harvested a coon for that guy, he got to carry it back to the truck. You were not going to get it away from him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, some some of the bear dogs, you know, uh, I remember Fancy very well, uh, one and two. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Steve, I got a dog. I want to tell the Singer story. That was a yeah. great story. And uh, what was that dog? You start, you start. What, what was Singer's actual name? This is a great name. Okay. Singer yeah. was Bear Pen Song of the South. Yeah. And the story, I'll set the tee this up for Randy. I was with UKC and at Black and Tan Days in Florida, Illinois. And when I would go out there, Everett Weems lived only 20 miles away from there in Salem. And Everett, as anybody that's listening to this podcast that knows anything about plot dogs, know the impact that Everett Weems had on the plot breed. Mm -hmm. There's probably no man that had more dogs in the Plot Hound Hall of Fame than Everett. And and what did he primarily use his dogs for, Steve? He was a a dual-purpose hunter, coon and bear. But he probably spent a lot of his time with coons. And the only reason I bring that up and interrupt you is to again show that relationship between you know coon hunters in the east and their transition and the impact they've had on big game hounds so go ahead i'm sorry dude didn't mean to interrupt right no but uh, so my dad you know there's a whole story and we'll do that when we cover everett about how my dad and everett realized that they they were both the same age within the year they'd had plots the same length of time but they really hadn't communicated with each other for all these years until about 1972 or three at plot days. And they started talking and, and Everett learned that my dad had a dog called Sam that Randy just mentioned, bear pin Sam, that was essentially bred the same as the dogs that Everett started out with. Mm-hmm. So they, were, they began to, you know, kind of exchange breedings back and forth puppies and so forth. And, and again, we'll tell that story later. But I went over on a third, whenever any UKC hunt was at Flora, and of course many breed hunts were held there, I would always make a point to go pleasure hunting with Everett Weems on Thursday night before the hunt got started. And I went over to Everett's, and I don't remember the exact year now, I'd have to look at the dates, but I went over to Everett's and we went coon hunting, and um when we got back to the, the, to his house, we went in the barn and looked and he had an eight month old plot female there in a pen inside the barn. Mm-hmm. And she was like what I would relate to throwing a super ball. If, if listeners can remember what a super ball was, oh, yeah. the little impact, highly impact in a, in a handball court <laughs> and throw it against the wall as hard as you could. And then watch the result. That's what Singer looked like in that pen. Mm -hmm. And she was just all over the place. But, oh, she was gorgeous. Solid brindle, just, you know. And I I asked Everett, I said, Everett, would you sell that female? What are you going to do with her? No, no, I'm I'm not going to sell her. I'm going to train her out. I said, okay. I said, if you change your mind, you let me know. 
And the next day, he came out to the grounds on Florida, came in the UKC motorhome, sat down, and he said, Steve, I've thought about it. He said, I'm probably not going to have the time to put into that female. I would not, and I don't say this egotistically, but this is exactly what he told me. He said, I would not consider selling her to anyone else, but if you want her, you can have her for $300. Yeah. I said, let's go get her right now before <laughs> you change your mind. And we did. And, yeah. and, and I brought her home, and there's a whole story about all that. But um, Randy then... <clears throat> Okay, to tee this up a little bit further, I had come to the mountains to go bear hunting. What was it? Was it in December season? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Okay. And a friend, Heath Hyatt, and I had bear hunted um, over around Narrows, Virginia. And we had gone up into Randolph County, West Virginia, and hunted with some fellows up there. And we'd killed a bear. And my dad was on that hunt. Uh, and, uh, so I came back down to Randy's. I was headed back to Michigan. I lived in Kalamazoo at that time and I had Singer loaded in the truck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Randy said, well, you know, I've got another week of bear season down here and I, I'd like for you to leave Singer with me so I can hunt. There you go. And, and I'll let you take this, the story from there, Randy. Well, typical here in the mountains in the end of bear season, you can expect bad weather. We hadn't had that great a season. Um, Local hunters would tell you that we have a lot more bear around here now than we did then. I've got a little bear been seen around the house the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, we were about three days into that last week of season, and we uh, were really hunting on the north side of a mountain, and we shouldn't have been there, uh, kind of telling on ourselves a little bit. That late in the season, uh, the sows had probably already gone in uh, with the weather, but we wanted to try to get a track going. And 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 uh, Singer, one of the most memorable things about that place was we were looking off of a high point that was around the rim of Burke's Garden that Steve mentioned earlier. And... Uh, it was pretty high up, and, and uh, we were watching Singer work down below us. Oh, it's probably 50, 60 yards down. And and here she is, cold trailing, right through this herd of deer. I mm. mean, dozens of deer. She didn't pay a bit of attention to them. Wow. And, and there was a gentleman there. He and his son were hunting, and he was a man of, uh, of means, I'll put it that way. And <clears throat> it's the first time he'd ever seen her. And he offered me a large amount of money for that dog right there. And I thought, well, this is crazy. He hasn't seen anything of her other than crow, uh, uh, cold trail through a herd of deer. But he said he'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. He had never had a dog that would not pay attention to those deer and at least go bump one, you know. And I, I came back and told Steve, you know, what we was offered for the dog. And uh, they thought that was in reason. I was a little ignorant on the value of what I had. Mm-hmm. But long story short, we did get a bear track going. And Singer absolutely could burn a track up. And uh, I saw the bear and the pack of hounds go by me up on a mountaintop. I kind of jumped down out of this trail and watched them go by. And Singer was in the lead. Mm-hmm. They ran that bear in a hole, and I, I figured there might be some trouble. And uh, when we got down there to the hole, men were 
were down there on their bellies trying to grab dogs. Did the bear come out first? No. It didn't? Okay. I, I thought that the bear came out and made a circle and came back into the rocks. Did that re- not happen? I don't really remember that. Okay. That may okay. or may not happen. I, I don't. I don't remember, brother. It may have been. Um, but at any rate, men were pulling, grabbing dogs as they could and pulling them out of the hole. And the dog would come out and it wouldn't be Singer. And the mm-hmm. dog would come out and it wouldn't be Singer. And I said, man, this is not good. Yeah. And and finally, there are no more dogs coming out. The bear came out. Uh, the bear was shot and killed right there where it came out. And I said, boy, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went up in the hole, and there she was. Uh, the bear had killed her. And what had happened was she was the first dog in that hole. Um, and I guess that bear was just coming at her. She couldn't back up because right. she had this traffic of other hounds behind her. And I remember I came out, and I got uh, just a kind of a limb of a, a tree. Uh, that I had a little hook to it. And I crawled back in there as far as I could, and I and I hooked that uh, around her and pulled her up to where I could get to her and get the collars off of her. And uh, I had just entombed her right there. Yeah. Uh, there were dog. Uh, you know, Chris, this is kind of funny. Uh, I get teary-eyed about that even today because she was such a great hound and so much fun to hunt mm-hmm. with. And, boy, I hated to lose her like that. And But I just entombed her right there and. I came out and I made a necklace out of her collar in the tracking collar and came down off the mountain and dad was in the truck. uh, And he said, well, I I knew when I saw you coming uh, with those collars around your neck that something bad had happened, you know. And uh, I think I, I think this is an interesting this is an interesting point right here, Randy. You know, so many people think that hunters or houndsmen don't care about their hounds they just non-houndsmen or anti-hunting crowds or people that don't understand what we're doing have no idea the bond that we have with those hounds and and what they mean to us yeah and it's it's totally it's totally irrational for them they can't reason that out and they they think that I could just go on. This is a whole podcast all by itself talking about that part, but mm-hmm. I am, I am, this is a great point in, in our podcast and nobody likes to lose those hounds, but on the other side of it, what, what would that dog rather been doing that day, that point in time than being the first one in that hole after that bear? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Chris, <clears throat> Uh, Singer had been just prior to that. She had been hunted out in in the White Mountain Apache Reservation area by professional guide Tom David with Summit Outfitters mm-hmm. uh, for <clears throat> three seasons. Uh, they have a fall and spring season out there, and she had been hunted a fall season, the spring season, and then another fall season, and had been shipped home. Uh, right off of that uh, that uh, period of time out there in which she had participated in taking a 40-some bears. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Singer was a bear dog, absolutely of the absolutely. better class. You know, she, she did, we did not breed her 
Everett Weems bred her. Every dog on her pedigree was a Weems bred hound, although it was a similar breeding to the dogs that we had. But she really was special. And Tom uh, David was the one that wrote a letter to the National Plot Hound Association and nominated her for the Hall of Fame. And she did was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, did but, I did uh, I did I accept that nomination for you? Was that for Singer or was that for which dog was that, Steve? I think days? that probably was because she was the last one of my dad's hounds mm-hmm. that went into. Uh, you know, I bought Singer, but then I I had a little problem with her coon hunting in Michigan because she. She, from the time she was five months old, she'd get out in one of those big cornfields and trail. Mm-hmm. You know, she showed that she had a, a good nose from early age. But then <clears throat> when she started treeing and I'd get near the tree, she didn't want to be caught. She did. She wanted, you know, uh, to be be uh, after game. She was so gamey and it aggravated me. You know, I'd right. get close to the tree and she'd take off. Sure. So uh, I sent her down here. Randy, do you remember the first bear chase that you and Dad took Singer on? Yeah. yeah I ran right up here on Buckhorn Mountain and, and went east toward Rocky Gap, Virginia. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit different day, Chris. Uh, we didn't always have the, the uh, fancy tracking right, <laughs> right. pops that you have now and, and, and didn't have cell phones, so there was no – Radio, uh, very little radio communication. But anyway, a long story short, the way the mountain range runs, it runs east to west, and uh, they they caught the dogs crossing the road, and it was nine miles from where we'd turned them loose, and Singer was in the front by length of a football field with the rest of the hounds. Yeah, I was on that hunt that day too, but that was, you know, the first bears that she smelled, she ran and she proved right then that bears were her game and what she wanted to do. I know Tom, David out there, they would check baits with a hound, you know, it was singer. If there hadn't been a fresh bear track there, she would go find a bear. She would free cast herself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, he had to use a little bit of that Tritronics uh, mm-hmm. magic on her <laughs> to convince her to stay or at least to come back when he said singer, you know. Yeah. But she was quite the little gal and, and one that we certainly hated to lose. But, you know, was I upset at Randy for getting the dog killed? Absolutely not. Because, you know, she was doing what she was bred to do. And that's all part of the game, and and we all hate to lose a good dog, for sure. Well, Chris, Dad had uh, shared with me, and I'm sure he did, Steve, also when I was small, and he said, listen, when you turn a bear hound loose, you tell it goodbye, because you're probably not ever going to see it again. There's a good chance of that. And and I lost another good dog, Fancy. That that was the last day of bear season one year, and we were trying to get a track going, and – she was an excellent cold trailer, excellent cold nose, and, and I free cast her, and, and she got away from me. I, I got up in an area called Bear Town, which I know there are a lot of bear towns around the country. but uh, I, live in bear, I, I live in Bear Branch, Randy. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> she got away from me, and I lost her. The wind came up. I couldn't hear her. I couldn't track her. Um, I, I just had to come off the mountain. And, and then a real bad storm blew in, and couldn't get up there for a couple of days. And when I did, I, I found her. I got a, a beep on her collar up 
up under this large uh, flat rock. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just um, and it was about a foot to a foot and a half off the ground, and um, I crawled up under there and, and found her dead, and and brought her out and brought you know, but mm-hmm. uh, th- that was two really good dogs for me in my life that I lost bear hunting, and and I tell you that that kind of scars you a little bit too, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, I've known uh, I've you know, I've known that, several. There was another good dog I liked that Steve could tell you about, Julie. Boy, mm-hmm. she, you know, guys would want to road her, and and you you'd have to drive fifty mile an hour to road her. <laughs> but we, I've had, uh, you know, like I said, I never bought a dog. Uh, the dad and Steve always supplied me with hounds, and um, always had good hounds that were a lot of fun, you know. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question. I don't expect you to mention any names or anything, but I just want to get uh, get a general idea here, but. I know that you said that you enjoy hunting by yourself just for the therapeutic uh, part of, of houndsmanship. And I think every one of us enjoys hearing our dogs and being out there and spending time with them. But out of all the hunters that you've hunted with in your life, Randy, how many houndsmen and how many true houndsmen have you actually hunted with? And I say that because, you know, I've, I know several people who hunt deer or but uh, or hunt rabbits or they coon hunt uh but they're not woodsmen mm-hmm. um so when i use the term houndsman i look at it as someone who knows hounds has a deep investment in in the hound sports and uh, that is the center of 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 their activity how many true houndsmen yeah. do you think you've met well, certainly not as many as my brother or my dad would have met. On that list, of course, is going to be H.E. Fielder, my mm-hmm. brother Steve. Uh, John Harris comes to mind, uh, a local fellow that I spent many in the night in the wood in cornfields and hunting, uh, Kenny Rourke. Um, I would consider him a houndsman, John mm-hmm. Harris. Um, so, my see, my list is pretty small. Well, um, the reason I bring it up is that's what this podcast is all about is you know houndsman xp extreme performance but developing that mindset that we have we need to continue to develop our game and become houndsmen and that's why we share stories like we're sharing with yours right with you right now and i'm so glad that steve had time uh to to come up there and and you took the time for our listeners to get to know you and and things like that. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? We're going on about uh, 50 minutes right now. It doesn't feel like it once you get to talking. These are great. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, it's been a joy and a blessing to get to do this. I want to thank you. And, Steve, I want to thank you for this opportunity. I didn't know how much I would have to say when Steve uh, presented this idea to me. I didn't know how much you were going to get to say. (laughs) <laughs> i'm glad you brought that up um, it, it was an exciting life as a boy uh to get to to be around the hounds uh other kids in the neighborhood would come by and want to look at the dogs and what do they do and you know you got to share stories and knowing that uh, my dad and my brother did it with integrity i, I i'm sure steve 
had to make decisions in the positions that he held in life that some guys didn't like. But I have never had anybody come to me personally and say anything about my brother or my dad that would bring any reproach on them uh, as, you know, as far as being a houndsman. Mm-hmm. And that's an honor. And then to be able to carry on that tradition, um, you know, and, and enjoy it, um, it's just, it's been rewarding. Yeah. I wouldn't even call myself a houndsman compared to the names of the people I mentioned, but I sure enjoy the hounds and I've always had fun with them. And I thank you for this opportunity to share some of my story. Oh, you're certainly welcome. Steve, you got any final thoughts? Well, yeah, and I can pass that back to Randy. Uh, You know, we have a rare relationship. You hear of siblings, family members, or squabble over this or that. That never happens between Randy and me. We have, um, you know, uh, just an unusually good relationship. And uh, Randy is known by everybody in this part of the country. You can't go downtown or any surrounding town and go in a restaurant or a place of business that he doesn't have several people come up and shake his hand. How you doing, Randy? What's going on that? And then one of the privileges that I have each trip up here is to get to go to church and, and sit under, as we say, under the ministry of my brother. And he is a tremendous speaker and pastor and is much loved by his congregations and and uh, so all around, yeah, this is a mutual admiration society here Good. today, I guess, brother. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's uh, it's it's a joy to have a brother like Randy. And uh, I tell you, just because he's a pastor does not mean he's not tough. He's strong. He's he can hit that mountain with anybody. Maybe not in the last few weeks, because I see he and I both have a little bit of. Uh, 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 overgrowth over the belt line, but, but, uh, yeah, just had to go there. didn't you? Yeah, I just had to. And we all inherited that Hatfield. Our mother was one of those feuding Hatfield descendants and we all have that Hatfield baldness trait, you yeah. know, and all like our uncles and all, but yeah, it's, I, I really appreciate the fact that Randy took the time to, to, uh, sit down with us today. It's been great. Oh, I agree. I agree. Well, I think that is as good a place as any to wrap this up. I appreciate um, the opportunity to talk to you, Randy, and get to know you. I hope to meet you someday. Steve uh, has a lot of good things to, to say about you. And maybe we can take a Virginia bear hunt this year. Oh, that'd be awesome. We can set it up. Open I'm... invitation. <laughs> great, great. Yeah. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. And... Steve, that's a wrap. It's a wrap, Chris.